Good evening, everyone. I trust you guys are all well. It's been quite a quite an interesting week. It presents us with new challenges again. Um, I know that some of us are, well, not those of us here, but maybe some of us here, yeah, are still doing assessments at school, um, hoping to finish off this coming week. Um, I pray for focus for those of you guys who are still in that space. Um, and just also just to let you know that um, Alpha is continuing. There's still some space for those who, who would like to join in. Um, and that's going to be happening on Tuesday evening as well. I think some folk finish on Tuesday with assessments. So there's some space for you there. So this evening we're going to continue in our series on church life that we've been doing over the past few weeks. So in the past few weeks we've looked at um, the value of knowing who we are as the church. We've even looked at the history of the church, the birth of the church. Josh helped us get a better grip on the church and the Holy Spirit. Um, We even spoke about why we do the things that we do when we do come together as, as a body. Malcolm helped us to get a better understanding of what God is doing in his church on the continent of Africa. Also, just please remember Malcolm in your prayers. His father tested positive for COVID, so we might not see Malcolm for, um, for, a, few, for a few weeks or days. Maybe we'll have to see. And then last week, we, we had a look at the church and missions. And that was quite exciting to have Adrian with us. Now this evening, after all of the looking back kind of that we've done, we're going to be looking forward and we're going to consider the church and the end times. Um, So this will be kind of a two-part service sermon. We'll do one this evening and we'll consider what Peter has to say to the church about the end times. And then next week we'll have a look at what Jesus said to his disciples about the end times. So we'll focus on those two characters this week and next week. We know Paul has a whole lot to say about it, but we'll consider those two as we look at the end times and how we deal with it. Now, over the past year, I think many people have seriously considered whether or not we are in fact now in the end times. Um, And also attached to that, how close we are to Jesus' second coming. With everything that's going on, people have also just re-evaluated for themselves what really is important to them. Um, During this difficult period that we are going through with the pandemic moving across the whole world, and so they've really grappled with this idea of, are we in the end times now, and how close is Jesus' second coming? And over the years, many people have come along and they've prophesied and they've predicted when the world would end. And many also predicted when they believed that Jesus would return, thinking that the time that they were living in was the end times. There were people like Uh, Martin Luther, 
who was a, a German monk who we know, also a professor of theology, who is known for starting the Protestant Reformation. He also predicted the end of the world, and he said that the end of the world would occur around the year 1600, which was quite interesting. Even the Jehovah's Witnesses threw their hats in the ring, and they predicted that 1941 would be the year that we would experience the end times. That didn't happen, and they had to reevaluate, and they changed it to 1975. And clearly, there's more work that needs to be done there. Then there was also this um, very prominent um, author named Tim LaHaye, who uh, authored the series of Left Behind um, books, and there were movies that came out with it. And he predicted that the 1st of January 2000 would be the... um, the day that the world would culminate and come to an end and Jesus would return. Just while we are on that, I've actually been asked about um, this theology that he has been sharing related to um, the rapture. It's called rapture theology. So I don't believe that the early church understood that the second coming of Jesus would happen in two parts in the way that the Left Behind series communicates. So the Left Behind series communicates that Jesus is going to come, he's going to rapture his church, and then there'll be a period of time where there won't be any Christians on earth, and then Jesus will return again. I don't believe that that is what the early church believed or what Scripture accurately describes for us about the, the end times. There was also the Mayans, and the Mayans had a calendar of their own that they drew up 500 years before Jesus, and they actually predicted that December 21st, 2012, would be the day that the world would come to an end. Remember there was this movie called 2012? I think Nicolas Cage was in it. So there was this whole theory and this whole movement around that particular date being the time when the world would come to an end. And there has been a long list of different people and different groups with ideas about the end times and how the world would come to an end. Now, the Bible clearly instructs us to be vigilant. The Bible tells us that we must watch and pray. But it also teaches that no one can say for certain that we are living in the end times. This has always been a debatable proposition. And in fact, Jesus himself repeatedly said that no one knows or can know the day or the hour of his return. However, we are surrounded right now by events and developments that could be interpreted as signs of the end. I've been having lots of conversations about these kinds of things. Even Pastor Andrew and I, we, had, we were kicking this turn around about the end times. And so on most every continent right now, we see famines, we see earthquakes, we see disasters, we see troubles, persecution, We see wars, 
and rumors of wars, as Mark speaks about there in chapter 13. And then, of course, there's the coronavirus pandemic. But the coronavirus pandemic is but one of a number of plagues that's currently moving around the earth. And some of these plagues are things like um, early in last year, there were massive plagues of locusts that moved across the eastern section of Africa. They say they were the worst in 70 years. That picture up there in the top left was taken early on in last year. Then we know that we are having right now extremely bizarre weather patterns. We are experiencing rise in temperatures. We're also having unprecedented flooding that might be due to melting ice caps. There's also major earthquakes that are happening right now. In fact, just in last month, um, there's, a, there's a, a region in the Congo that reported 61 earthquakes in a 24-hour period. And then in that region in the Congo as well, in the area called Goma, they had a volcanic eruption. In fact, if you caught some of that on the news, you would have seen um, Congolese people on the western side of the country running into um, running across the border into Rwanda to find some kind of um, uh, relief from this eruption of this volcano that had just happened. And then, of course, there's the coronavirus. And then we've, we've also got now, if you're watching the news, there's an, there's an African swine fever that's moving around. And then, of course, we've got the old H5N1 bird flu and the H5N8 bird flu. So all of these things are going on right now across the world. And they kind of seem to line up with what we are reading about in Scripture. But bearing these things in mind, we should also ask ourselves the question, has there ever been a period in the history of the world when tribulation or catastrophe wasn't part of people's life experience? So could you imagine what it must have been like for a believer in Rome under the Emperor Caligula or Nero to face the arena with a lion's den all for your faith? What do you suppose Christians were thinking when the legions captured Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 AD? Or what about when Attila the Hun overran Europe in the 5th century and then the Vikings in the 9th century and Genghis Khan in the 13th century and so on? Or how would the indigenous peoples of North and South America, of Australia and the Polynesian islands, the indigenous peoples of Africa on this continent, how would they have interpreted the brutality of slavery and colonialism? Is it possible that they could have seen that as the end time? And then there's also the bubonic plague that they called the Black Death that wiped out entire towns and claimed more than 25 million lives between 1347 and 1352. Wouldn't people have thought then, perhaps, that that was the end time? And then there's, of course... Um, 
when Hitler and the Third Reich um, took over Germany and Eastern Europe, would believers have thought back then in the 40s that that could have been the end times? It seems clearly in the, the early 21st century, the, the time that we are in now has no monopoly on death or disaster or devastation and terror. And I don't think you need to know or have a great understanding of history to understand that trial and catastrophe is something that has been happening um, throughout the history of mankind. Now, I personally, I do believe that we are in the end times. I think everything that takes place after the ascension of Jesus Christ takes place in the end times. The end times started in the New Testament. But I am not so sure whether we are at the end of the end times so that we are coming close to the return of Jesus. Quite interestingly, I have read some biblical scholars who have um, projected that Jesus' return may happen within the next 50 years if we take into account how technology and science and how mankind is currently progressing. But now what should the church be doing to get ready for the catastrophic events that precede the end of the age and the second coming of Jesus that scripture speaks about? Given the current state of world affairs, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that the Lord may be returning very soon. So how do we respond? Now some people decide that the thing to do is to run and hide. (laughs) You know, cults have been getting people to run and hide for years. And then there are some people who get into this a movement of getting into survival techniques and they call themselves doomsday preppers and they build these elaborate hideouts in the event of an apocalypse. And then there are others again who do some really interesting things like they just pursue a hedonistic lifestyle. But is this the right kind of approach? Are we really supposed to run and hide Is that really something that we think is going to be something, an approach that would set us in in good stead? Or should we stay where we are and continue to, to minister to the people who are around us in the places that Jesus has placed us? Now Jesus does say something about running away in Matthew chapter 24, but we'll look at that next week. But let's assume for the moment that these are the end times. What then? How should a Christian respond? Think about this for a a moment. What if Jesus' return will happen within the next few years? What if? Because Jesus did say that he would come like a thief in the night. No one knows when a thief comes in the night. It's always unexpected. But fortunately, the Apostle Peter gives us a kind of a straightforward answer to this question. 
And we're going to look at that now. And he writes specifically with reference to the end of the age and in the language that he uses there, the end of the age when the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Peter doesn't suggest that believers head for the hills. At no point in time does he suggest that we run and hide or or that we adopt an entirely defensive mentality and start stockpiling food and toilet paper and weapons. (laughs) Instead, Peter asks, since all these things will be dissolved, what kind of body should the church be? So we're going to read from Second Peter chapter 3, and we'll read from verses 10 to 18. And this is what it says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus, of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So this passage, this portion of scripture actually gives a whole lot of information. But the whole lot of information that it does give actually just raises a whole lot more questions. You know, he speaks about heavens disappearing He speaks about things being destroyed by fire. Now, those are questions that we're not going to be unpacking this evening, unfortunately. I rather want us to look at what Peter says the life of the church should be like in the end times. Now, he does say that we must make effort to be found blameless and at peace when Jesus comes. And it says there in verse 17 as well, that we must be on our God. But as Peter sees it, end-time Christians are called to do one thing, and I think it can be seen as an encompassing principle here. They are to practice holiness 
and godliness, as it says there in verse 11. They are supposed to be holy and work the works of God while it is day, as John says in chapter 9 and verse 4. So what does it mean to be someone or a body that lives in holiness and godliness? Now, I want to very quickly just suggest six things that would assist us to be a body that would live in holiness and godliness. And this is the first thing. It says, practice an awareness of the presence of God. Now, we know from Scripture that God is always with us. He promises us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He sees everything we do. He knows our thoughts. He knows our attitudes. He knows our motivations. Purposefully remembering this truth, that God is always present and all-knowing, and disciplining ourselves to regularly think about him, I think will nourish holiness and godliness in our lives and in our body as the church. I believe that in the end times, amidst all of the trials and all of the challenges that the end times will bring, people will be asking the question, where is God? Is he even here while the world suffers? But we must remember that God promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he is always present. And so the church must continue to live in the end times with the knowledge that God actually is present even though there are trials and challenges. Number two, stay in the word and pray. Sounds very basic, but it's very powerful. The creator of this universe has revealed himself. He's revealed his will. He's revealed his ways to us in scripture. And we are able to communicate with him through prayer. The Bible describes the holy and the godly life to which God calls us. But we cannot live by God's word unless we actually know God's word and spend time in God's word. Coupled with time in prayer, this reading and studying of the word will plant God's truth in our hearts and stand us in good stead in the end times. The third point is that I believe that we should respond quickly to the Spirit and be proactive in our battle against sin. The thing about sin is that sin manages to take root in our lives, in our hearts, if we don't deal with it quickly. Because it grows and it multiplies. And so to be holy, we must dig this sin out. We've got to remove it by the root and get rid of it. Remembering, as we spoke about a few weeks back, that salt that loses, it, that loses its saltiness is of no use. Because sometimes we even intend to obey later, but unfortunately our delayed obedience causes us harm and it dishonors God in the same process. 
And then we may miss out on God's best plan for us, or even worse, put ourselves in danger. And then number four, make the most of the trials that we will face. The end times will bring challenges and it will bring tribulation. Scripture promises us this. And God is able to use persecution and the trials of this life to refine our faith and to shape our character. And if we fight him in the process, rather than lean on him, trust his love and follow his guidance, we could lose out on much of what he wants to do. There's this saying that goes, we learn more from our trials than from our triumphs. And so I personally, I don't want to have to go through more trials than necessary. So I'll rather learn that lesson as quickly as I can. Number five, keep an eternal perspective. I think that if we allow the things of this physical world, the challenges, the tribulations that we face, if we allow that to dominate our thoughts and our priorities, the temporal will drive our emotions and our responses. But if we stay focused on God's bigger, God's more eternal plan and picture, then I believe that we will be able to stand firm in trials. Trials only last for a season. The last one, number six. Continue to love God and love others. I believe that our love for God and our love for others will be tested in the end times like never before. The intensity of the challenge in this season will press us to become lovers of ourselves. And this is something that scripture warns us against. It says that in the end times, in the last days, men and women will become lovers of themselves. And we as the body of Christ need to have a holy and a godly perspective on that. And that means standing by God's commandment of loving him and loving others. And so these are some ideas that I believe will be helpful as we think about what Peter is saying to us here, about what our approach should be as the body of Christ as we enter into what we call the end times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good, good father. We thank you that even though you created all of this, that you created this universe, that you knit us and everything else together, that we can still call you father. Thank you, Lord, that you are a father to anyone who responds, that anyone who calls upon your name can and will be saved. Father, even as we think about the end times and when you will send Jesus back to the earth, we ask that you would be with us as we pursue holiness and as we pursue godliness. And Father, we ask that even as we find ourselves in this difficult season, 
not only in this city, in this province, in this country, but in the world as we face a pandemic. We ask, Lord, that your presence would remain with us, that you would always be listening and hearing for our voices when we cry out for you. Continue, Lord, to work in us, to continue to work through us. And Lord, we ask that you would come and bring relief to us. Come and refresh us during this season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.